When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky LeBlue, the associate editor and Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com. Welcome back. The TSL podcast is back and better than ever. We are live here in 2018. It's a brand new year, but it's the same old podcast here at TSL. As always, I'm with Will Stewart and uh, Chris Coleman here in the TSL offices. Guys, how are we doing today? Now, wait a minute. Is it the is it better than ever, or is it the same old TSL podcast? You just said both. It's the same podcast. <laughs> But it's going to be yeah, better. It's a better version. You can find yeah, it in the same it's, place. It's yeah, exactly. One point two or something. It's like the that. same. Yeah. It's the same. It's not a two point but it's a one point two. But it's going to be better. Yeah, yeah. It's a one point two. It's it's kind of a system update. Chris, how are we doing? I'm doing well. So obviously, we have not hit on the camping world boy yet. We took a bit of a hiatus there. I went out of town to see family. For the holidays after the Camping World Bowl. I slept 10 hours a day. There you go. Chris, what did you do with the, the non-podcasting? Oh, he, went, he went to chance. Covering basketball? No, actually, I have, I have only go there maybe once a week now. Yeah, so, believe it or not. Well, I hope you make it count. <laughs> anyway, let's go ahead and hit on the Camping World, Camping World Bowl briefly. Ricky's like, moving on, no talking about yes, champs. Yes, we are moving on. Uh, obviously, I don't want to spend too much time in this game because it is a little bit kind of in the rearview mirror now. Uh, it's definitely been a while, but I think we should still hit on it. Um, one of the, the main things that from this game that I took away was that tech should have won this game. Tech did every single part of the game plan that they needed to, except two things, taking care of the ball and prohibiting big plays. Mm -hmm. And even if they had just taken care of the the football and given up the big plays, it's a one score game down there in the stretch instead of being down nine on your, on your final drive. So to me, Tech should have won this game. I think the expectation of not allowing big plays is one of your goals going into that game is kind of silly because that's what Oklahoma State does. They yeah. make big plays. You know, that's just gonna happen. That's gonna happen. I mean, at some point, they were gonna get James Washington isolated on Reggie Floyd, and I actually, don't know why Virginia Tech didn't call a timeout before that play when they saw. That, they, that Oklahoma State got that matchup uh, against that particular Tech defense. As good as Reggie Floyd's been this year, yeah, it's tough James for it's, Washington. It's, it's, it's going to be tough for any strong safety to to run and stride downfield in man coverage against the Bolitnikoff Award winner. So, uh, you know, Reggie Floyd had a great season, but, you know, that, that can happen to anybody. Uh, but to me, that that came that game came down to turnovers. I mean, that's what yeah. it was all about. Um, you know, it's gosh, let me get my math right. It's been so long since this game was played. It seems like, but I know. All right, not only did that fumble inside the one cost Virginia Tech seven points, but you know they went for a two point conversion later in the game when they probably would have just kicked a field goal yeah. if they had scored that touchdown earlier. So they probably cost themselves 10 points. J.J. By, threw but, a pick in Oklahoma State territory. Right. Um, so it was just uh, it was one of those games where uh, they left a lot of points on the board. And then the other play, the fourth down play, uh, was a bad snap 
which yeah. not which isn't a turnover, but it's it might as well be yeah, a turnover. It's basically a turnover. It's basically a turnover. So you know they they just left a lot of uh, a lot of points on the board. That's how I led my game recap was just the mistakes that Tech made in this game and how it really prohibited prohibited them from winning this game. Will is, did you kind of come away with the same feeling? Well, the other thing you're leaving out is the missed opportunity. I think it was Henry Murphy running downfield behind the yeah, defense. And, yeah, and Josh right before, right before halftime. By the way, that throw. Um, when Josh threw it, um, that throw had more pop on it than any throw he'd thrown in a long time. Yeah, and, and that's unfortunate, you know, because, because it ended up being an inch too too. Yeah, long. he launched it, and I thought, wow, that's got some zip on it, and uh, nuts, he overthrew it, you know. So there's yeah. that. Now, to be fair, uh, uh, Oklahoma State also missed a wide open receiver behind the defense. You know, same yeah. thing. Mason Rudolph just made a bad pass. Now he made some other good ones. But what I will remember about the game is the fumble on the one-yard line and the missed deep touchdown pass. You know, you guys talk about other plays that if they went the other way um, would have benefited Tech. That's that's what I remember. And, and I'm getting to an age where I've seen so many games that I don't remember a lot about them. I just remember key moments, mom, key moments like that, and that's what my brain will always go to. Tech goes nine and four this year, and really, if you go back to the beginning of the year, I think eight and four, nine and three was about where everybody pegged this team to be. Anyway, do you see this as a successful season, despite maybe you know faltering in in some areas where they could have found more success? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a successful season. They finished in the top twenty-five. They finished pretty much about where I think they started out ranked twenty-first or something yeah, like they that. Were 20, they, they, they finished twenty-fourth uh, in the I'm, AP and twenty-fifth in the coaches. I'm, I'm really glad that the pollsters didn't knock them out of the rankings based on the Oklahoma State game. I thought it would have been unfair to to boost Oklahoma State in the rankings and then drop Virginia Tech out of them, considering how close those teams are t- together. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was a, a successful season. I, I think. I would like to replay the Georgia Tech game. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. I think that, everybody would uh, like to do that's that. That's the one that sticks in my craw. The, yeah, yeah, because Virginia Tech, you know, they've got more talent than Georgia Tech. And I think based on how they played against Oklahoma State and, and the fact of how many early entrants into the NFL draft they have, uh, which we'll get to later, yeah. you know, I think they, they should have beaten Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech did not finish with a winning record. They didn't go to a bowl game. They just, you know, they're not that good to of me, a team. T- to me, the Georgia Tech game is is eerily similar to the Syracuse and Georgia Tech games in 2016. Except Georgia Tech was good in 2016. This Give them credit true. then. This is true. This is more like the Syracuse game. Yes, I mean, more like yeah. the Syracuse, Syracuse was game. the head shaker yeah. in 2016. Yeah, but, but I mean, but still, Tech lost a ton on offense coming into coming into this season. They lost a couple pieces on the defensive line, but they were still able to win nine games and, and like Chris mentioned, get into the top 25. Yeah, so uh, if, if you have, ask if it was a success, successful season, yes. Um, and if you really want to pick one reason to say that versus any other, they beat West Virginia to open the season. Yeah. You know, that was a big game at the time. How different would the year have been? If completely they lost completely that game? different. Completely different. We wouldn't have gotten the home night game against Clemson. Yeah, you know that the um, and which we lost. And, there, of and course, therefore wouldn't have gotten the the night game at Miami. At Miami, yeah. So everything goes a lot differently without that game. I want to go back to our preseason podcast where we made predictions, and I know I predicted us to go nine and three, and I think I think Will I think predicted us to go nine and three also. Uh, but, Probably, I think but, we but, all but, went. But you said, three. but you said we would uh, win the coastal, and I said, ah, but is five and three going to be good enough to to win the coastal? Because and I said no, right? And and I said, well, that means you're picking us to lose to West Virginia then. 
because if we go nine and three, but you pick us to West Virginia, then then we're going to go five and three in the ACC, right? Um, as it turned out, you know, five and three was not good enough to win the Coastal, and I think to be safe, you're going to have to go seven and one from from now on. You're going to have that's what you need to shoot for seven and one, and that seven and one has to include a win over Miami. It has to include a win over Miami. Yeah, they've got to reverse this trend against Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah, I totally I'm, agree. I'm starting to get really wound up about that, and and I never did write a follow up column to the uh, Camping World Bowl. Uh, I am in my brain working on a column just about kind of where I think the program is right now. And one of the things I'm going to say in that column is this thing of losing to Georgia Tech, that's got to stop. I was about to say, it, it seems like the fans are, are really getting annoyed with the And I know the coaches the agree, too. That is a loss you cannot afford. Right. What, what have we lost, three out of four to them three now? Three out of four. Yeah. That's got – if you want to win the – what I'm saying is I'm, I'm not being – I'm being forceful, but I'm not being critical. What I'm saying is if you want to win the Coastal, that has to stop. Not just every- if you want to win the Coastal, but if you want to take that next step to yeah. be a top yeah. 15 program, you can't lose to Georgia Tech three out of four years. No. you know. So, And everybody focuses on Miami, but I think you need to start with beating Georgia Tech every year and, right. and then worry about Miami. And, and it's a, it's been a complete team effort in Virginia Tech's losses to Georgia Tech. The offense has not played well, but the defense hasn't played well either. I mean, yeah. They were down twenty to nothing at halftime last season, and yeah, when the offense scores zero points, that's not good. But it's also not good when you're just getting gashed over and over up the middle, and it's not good when you're giving up big passing plays down the field. I mean, Virginia Tech's defense has had trouble sometimes with Georgia Tech in the past, but they've also completely dominated them at other times. So, and I and I think this Tech defense was as good as some of the past defenses that dominated Georgia. Well, they're great corners and great defensive tackles, right? And you know? they just didn't get it done. Let's go ahead and move on to the over-unders portion for the camping world. Remember, we did five over-unders for this one to see if we could give Chris a chance to overtake Will. And I'm sorry, Chris, you failed miserably. (laughs) You went one and four Uh -uh. in the over-unders. But you know who was in last place the entire season? Me, young Richard Lee LeBlue. Would but you, you like? Would you like to know who went five and zero in the college, Camping no World kidding. Bowl over unders? How, how about that? Your boy Ricky LeBlue, the host of the podcast. So, so, best for last. Yes, yeah, definitely. So really quick, let's go over these. Uh, number one was number of rushing yards for Virginia Tech. We had that at one eighty five. Well, they had two forty eight. So Will and I won that one. Uh, time of possession for Tech at thirty five minutes. They went thirty eight thirteen. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. That they executed the game plan really yeah. well. Did I say areas. over or under for that? You went under. Okay. So uh, receiving yards for James Washington at 100. He had 126, mainly including that big touchdown. Yeah. Will and I had over on that one. Sean Savoy receiving yards at 40. Zero. Didn't have any receiving yards and had that drop that we've been talking about in the office this mm-hmm. week. Um, Will and I both had the under. Chris had over. And then we all got this one right. Josh Jackson passing yards at 200. We all took the over because Oklahoma State's defense isn't very good. And J.J. had 248. And that was, other than the the turnovers, that was really the best J.J. had looked in several weeks, right? Yeah, he looked healthier. You know, Will brought up the overthrowing yeah. deep ball. And I've seen some people actually question his arm strength. There's nothing wrong with his arm strength. Well, he got the, he took that hit against Miami, uh, and, yeah. and that hurt his shoulder. Yeah, Does hurt his he shoulder, have... his elbow. I, I don't know yeah, which Now, let me be clear. Hurt. I'm not talking about late in the game when Tech was running him a lot for some reason. It was early in the game when he drew his arm back, and yeah. the defensive end came around and yes. smacked down on his arm. Yeah, and, and I don't know which foot is hurt, if it's his uh, – if it's the foot he plants on or the foot that he steps into, but you know, there's just a lot of a lot of things going that that makes him seem like he doesn't have as good an arm 
as he did earlier in the season. But you saw in the Camping World Bowl when he was healthier, he's got a good arm. He he completed an out pattern uh, down the field in that game, about 10 or 15 yards down the field. And I don't remember if it was from the opposite hash or not, but he threw it over there and it was dead on accurate. And he got it there in a hurry. And I thought that was his most impressive throw of the year. Um, so you saw some signs that he was healthier in the game. He had a good running game. Yeah. Um, he was he was very effective running the football against Oklahoma State. And I thought it was very telling, and I tweeted this early in the game. You could tell from the beginning of the game that he was part of the running game plan. Yes. And I don't think he had been for a while. Right. So that that was also telling that he was he was feeling better. For me with Josh Jackson, I think he has the physical tools to be good. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he, I wouldn't categorize him having elite arm strength Correct. per se. I yeah. mean, he his arm strength is good enough to win football games. Yeah, it's uh, I think you, you go especially back especially when he's healthy. It's I think his arm strength is. You know, I remember Brian Randall early in his career. He was starting. Brian Randall started as a true sophomore, so his second year at Virginia Tech. So he started in the same year as 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 uh, JJ did this year, and. He didn't have a good enough arm as a true sophomore to, to start a quarterback for a team like Virginia Tech. And uh, so Jackson's well ahead of where Brian Randall was at the same stage. Uh, I don't know where I would rank it. It's not a Michael Vick arm. It's not a Jim Druckenmiller arm. It, it, it may be a little better than Michael Brewer. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 good enough. It's it's above yeah. average. Yeah. It, it's There's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's It's better than Ken Dorsey's. Right, Ken Dorsey's had a bu- being pole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, it's 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 just like Justin Fuente said. You know, Jackson will get better. He's 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 got to work on his accuracy. Yeah, that, that's the main thing, especially uh, downfield. Yeah, you know, he he missed a lot of throws this year. Uh, some of which weren't his fault. Some of them were. You know, it just it's it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to tell because when you got freshman wide receivers, you don't know if they're necessarily running the the route correctly yeah. and, the, and things like that. Um, so the whole operation has to get better, um, and, and it will. That's just what happens when you throw a lot of young players on the, on the field together. Well, the thing I would challenge him to do that nobody's talking about is, um, and, and I always every podcast I like to have a punch-in-the-face moment where I say something, if I said it to the player in their face, they'd punch me in the face. Um, <laughs> I would challenge Josh to hit the strength and conditioning program a little harder. Um, maybe he's just one of those guys that naturally doesn't get cut. He's got decent size, but he did not look uh, as muscular as he could be, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think he's got a feel for how much of a beating you take yeah, during the course of sure. a football season. So yeah. in addition to all the other stuff we're talking about, I would challenge him to put on some some muscle and, uh, you know, be able to take that punishment a little bit better. He's not a big dude, but – he could definitely bulk up. I go, I go back to the West Virginia game when he had that long forty-six yard run, which I think is still Virginia Tech's longest run of the season. I believe it is R- right up the middle, and he got tackled at the one-yard line by the safety. Who I, I guess and uh, Phillips made fun of him after the game or in the next week's press conference, and, and said, "I always make fun of him for for being a little chubby," and he just couldn't <laughs> quite get to the end zone. And, and yeah, that, that's accurate. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if he is. A, so you I got know, Cam Phillips he's, backing me up. Right, exactly. <laughs> Cam Phillips is in your corner. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think when, when you look at Jackson, yeah, you're right. He could be a little more cut. He could be a little, a uh, little more. He could look a little more athletic. Um, honestly, I still compare him to this day to to Taj Boyd. Taj Boyd was Taj, very Taj similar. Was, that way. Yeah. was very similar in that build and athleticism, arm strength, everything. I think they're very, very similar players from a physical standpoint. 
Well, he's got plenty of time to get hit that strength and conditioning program because the season is now over. The, we don't have to worry about any football games. We're not previewing any football games. But this time of year also means that this is the time of year everybody wants to go to the NFL draft. And obviously, Verdine Tech has lost three players to the NFL draft in the last, uh, I guess, week and a half or so. Uh, Tim Settle, redshirt sophomore defensive tackle. He's going to the league. And then on Wednesday, uh, which is yesterday because we're recording this podcast on Thursday, uh, both of the Edmonds brothers announced their decision simultaneously that they're going to the league. Let's start with Tremaine. Mm-hmm. He's six foot five. He's two hundred fifty pounds. He's a physical specimen. He's a he's a terrific athlete. Um, production slightly down this year, but he still put up really good numbers. Yeah. Uh, good decision for Tremaine to leave at this point. Yeah, I think it was a good decision, even I, though he's kind of young. I, he's he's who's what nineteen years old. So, he, I, mean, yeah. he, I think he won't turn twenty until a week after the draft. Yes, yeah, so, I mean he'll be twenty in his rookie. He'll year. be one of the youngest players ever drafted. In, in, in the history of the NFL. Because he skipped a year, right? Right. He was a 17-year-old true freshman at Virginia Tech, uh, just like uh, Trey was but before him. I, I don't know about uh, Terrell. But but the thing about Tremaine, I think it was a good decision. I think he, he strikes me as the type that will be a late first, early second round pick. Yeah. I do think if he came back for a senior year that he has the athletic ability and, and the upside that he could have been a top 10, top 15 pick. So I think he left money on the table from that standpoint. Uh, yeah, because there is a huge sta- drop off. Yes, but and, and these days it's 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 like the baseball draft. You know, there's a slot bonus depending on where you're drafted. Exactly. It's, it's not like you've got an agent negotiating your contract for you. Where you get drafted, that's how much you get paid mm-hmm. um, for for your first contract, which is four years. And a lot of guys don't get that second contract. So I think where you're picked initially in the draft is it's really going to determine how much money you make over the course of your NFL career. If he had jumped up and been a top ten, top fifteen pick next year, he could have he would have just about doubled his signing bonus. Uh, now maybe he still will be, get picked that high. I, I don't know. I'm I'm not in a NFL GM's shoes. Uh, so I thought it was a good decision because he's gonna he's guaranteed to make a lot of money. But I thought it would have been a great decision for him to come back and potentially double his earnings. Uh, next season in the draft, if he if he had stayed healthy, yeah, which he's never been hurt before. Well, and also you have to remember, both of his brothers have dealt with injuries. Terrell obviously missed the last couple games of this year. Yep. there was talk that maybe he's he'd been playing with that injury for several games this year. Mm-hmm. We all know Trey Edmonds' injury history, and that is really what kind of extensive <laughs> kind of hurt his college career. But obviously, he's healthy now with the New Orleans Saints. But I, I do think Tremaine still has a chance to be picked in the in the middle of the first round. I mean, Mel Kuyper has him, I think, at 16th on his big board. Todd McShay has him in the top 30 on yeah. his big board. M- McShay so, has always been more accurate to me. Um, fair enough. I, I mean, I remember Mel Kuyper at one point had Sergio Render as the number one offensive guard. <laughs> Sergio Render did not get drafted. For those who can't see what's going on in here, Will is shaking his head. All right, all right, all right. So, I, I know exactly what happened with Sergio. I, I know Sergio. I used to hang out with Sergio downtown a little bit. And I remember, at Champs? At Champs. <laughs> uh, uh, and that's free advertising. Yeah, Y'all really I, I know, Can you really... bleep that out when you edit? <laughs> We're gonna, hey, hey, Champs is going to sponsor the podcast. I remember, I remember Sergio happen. was talking between his junior and senior years. We, and there was a group of people sitting around talking about tech football, and and Mel Kiper uh, said, or excuse me, uh, Sergio said, "Man, Mel Kiper's got me number one offensive guard." Blah blah blah. And you know, Sergio didn't have a great senior season, and I saw Sergio again a couple years ago when he was back for his uh, master's degree. But you know, he basically said that he didn't have as good a senior year because 
you know, he was listening to the hype and thought yeah. he was already really good. And things like that. He was already yeah. there. Yeah, so, I mean, and, you know, same thing happened to Shiron Sith back in the day. Mel Kuyper projected him as a first-round pick, and he was drafted. So he left early, and he was drafted in the seventh round. So I just, I think, you know, Mel Kuyper is not a particularly good draft analyst, in my opinion. I think he has the look. I think he has the look that ESPN wants, <laughs> but but I just don't think he's and particularly the, the good hair. at his job. And yeah. the ability to chatter. Yeah, yes, exactly. But, but McShay is a much more accurate guy, I think, at least as, as far as Virginia Tech prospects have, have, have been. And, I, and if he's got Tremaine in the top 30, in the back end of the top 30, then that puts him late first, early yeah. second, you know, depending on yeah. need and thing, things like that. For me, I'd sum it up as a good decision. The only way it would be a great decision is if he decided not to go, had a great near, year next year, and was a top 10 guy. Right. That, but, you know, you can't project you, you that can't out. Project so that. It's, it's, it's a solid decision. I'm really curious to see how he performs at the Combine because I really think that with his size already, if he can put up some really good – um, you know, obviously the, the, those combine tests, the 40, the shuttle, all that stuff, the vert, I think he can really vault himself into that he's, middle first round. He's certainly a projectable guy. Yeah, you know, that's kind of that's kind of the sad thing about him leaving is he was really good for Tech the last two years. He's only going to get better. Though. He actually had the potential to be the most dominant linebacker in Virginia Tech history. And Forget that. Maybe the most dominant player. Uh, well, one of one of the most yeah. dominant players for sure. Uh We'll never get to see him at his full potential at Virginia Tech. Yeah, because yeah, he was definitely. so young, and, and then he left. Early. Yeah, he's definitely. He's one of those guys. He might be a better NFL player than he was college player. Cam Chancellor was a better NFL player than he was yeah. college player. And, and that's and that's scary for people for for Tremaine because he was already yeah, a good already a very player. good college player. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Terrell Edmonds is leaving with him. Uh, he moved to the free safety position this year. Put on 15 pounds. Didn't quite look as athletic as maybe he did in 2016, but he's going to the league. He, he uh, was a redshirt junior this year. Um, thoughts on Terrell leaving? I know that article that got written, the Yahoo article, when, when they announced Pete yesterday. Dammel, yeah. Yeah, they're saying second or third round pick possibly for Ter- Terrell, and I just don't I don't see that. I, 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 I thought that after his sophomore year, but I think if I was declaring for the draft, I, I'd, I'd want to be coming off a healthy season where I had good film. He's coming off a unhealthy season where he didn't have particularly good film. Yeah. So I feel like that... He lost some, some draft status this year, but I, I know at the same time that they want to probably go in the draft together, and they want they know NFL. That was career, a big sticking point. I for think that. NFL careers don't last very long. I think it would be neat for all three of the Edmonds brothers to be in the NFL at the same time, um, just like it was cool to have them all on the kickoff team at, at Virginia Tech yeah. that year. I can't really hate on Terrell's decision because uh, if they're telling him he's going to get drafted, he's already graduated. Um, he wants to play in the NFL with his brothers at the same time. I understand that, um, I, and, and I think when when you, when you look at what's coming back at Virginia Tech, well, De- Devon Diablo was really good. At, I thought Devon Diablo was better at free safety this year than Edmonds was. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, I thought Reggie Floyd was very good at Rover outside of like two plays: the play against Miami and the play in the bowl game. So you're talking about two plays the entire season that I can be critical of Reggie Floyd. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. So, honestly, I, I don't think Virginia Tech loses a whole, a whole lot by, by losing Edmonds, unless one of those other guys gets hurt. Um, so I, I can't really hate on his decision very much. If I were him, I, I don't know. I'm, I might come back. I do think guys these days, I don't think they understand what they're losing when they give up college to go to the NFL. <laughs> Having been to college and being out in the working world, I could give them a clue. But. Yeah, you, I mean, I remember when you uh, 
when you interviewed Kevin Jones a few years ago. Yeah. And he said he wouldn't change his decision, but he also said he wished he had come back. Yeah. If, if, if he could live two lives, I think, Kevin Jones in his other life would come back because he really enjoyed going to school at Virginia Tech. He said in that interview that the best times he ever had playing football was playing at Virginia Tech. And this was a guy who was a first-round pick and a starting running back in the NFL. Uh, so I, I just I think there's that side of things that a lot of guys they don't understand. At well, this point I, I of their think life. I think part of what they give up is uh, other than the obvious is you know when, when you're here at Virginia Tech, every, everybody's supporting you, wanting you to get better, even your own teammates that play the same position. Yeah, you know, and you get into the NFL, and it's not when when you're in college, it's not as if you're going to have a few bad games and get cut. Right. Or get injured and get cut. Right. And then the NFL, man, it's cold. If, if yeah. you start to slip at all or you get hurt, man, you're done. So, well, yeah, right. Isaiah well, Ford had a minor knee injury to start this season and was immediately put on injured reserve. Injured reserve, right. Uh, can you imagine yourself as like, let's say you're a French player. You might make the roster. You might not. You've got to be a good teammate, but at the same time, you're pulling for every single other player at your position to perform poorly. To, stink. <laughs> to, to give your chance, give yourself a chance to make the Get team an opportunity. and make four hundred thousand dollars that year. Yeah. Otherwise, you're bumped off. Maybe you're on a practice squad, and 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 you're making like a hundred grand. Yeah. When you wake up every, when you're a college football player and you wake up every day, you know you're going to be a part of that team. You are the you are the big man on campus, especially in Edmonds. You're going to be on that team as long as you want to be. Well, every day when you wake up in the NFL, you're just not sure. The worst thing that's going to happen to you all day is you got to go to class. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. Yeah. Uh, All right. So Tim Settle, obviously the third defection from the roster. Uh, Are we in agreement that this might be the worst of the three decisions? Yes. Yeah, I think he's potentially leaving a lot of money. On I don't the table think it's. Again. I don't think it's a lot worse than the Terrell Edmonds decision because I really do think Terrell could benefit from another year. He wasn't healthy this year. Mm-hmm. I think he could really benefit from getting another off season and another year to show that he can play both free safety and rover. But with with, with Timmy, man, I just, I just don't know. He had one year of production at college, and I mean, he, I, I I just and, don't know. Andy Bitter tweeted out. The day he settled declared that I think there's only been two redshirt sophomore two. defensive tackles drafted since 2012, and one of those was a six round pick. And I think the other may have been a third round pick. I think the other one was a first round pick. Okay, the thing, with, LSU. the thing with but, Timmy too is that they're they're not going to like we were just talking about how cutthroat the NFL is. They're not going to be patient with him. They're not going to be patient if he has to cut him. 10, 15 exactly. pounds. Exactly. Here's the thing: unless you're picked in the first four rounds, probably your contract's you, barely guaranteed you, at all. Well, I mean, the only thing guaranteed from your contract is your signing bonus, and if you're drafted rounds five through seven. Your signing bonus isn't going to be big enough that the that an NFL team is worried about cutting you. They, they, if you're drafted in the first three or four rounds, then your signing bonus is going to be so big and that the NFL team is going to be like, ah, eh, you know, we should at least keep him on the roster for a year so we don't have to just write him a big check when we cut him. At least get yeah. something out of him. But if you're picked in those last three rounds, you're expendable. Very expendable. I mean, Bucky Hodges, I think he made about $150,000 from the Vikings. They cut him and wrote him a check for his entire signing bonus and said, see you later. And so he got him a $160,000 bonus. for, what, a week or two? It was about a month and got cut from their practice squad. Bucky, Bucky Hodges made about $200,000 this year. That's probably all the money he'll ever make from the NFL. Wouldn't surprise me. You know, he left early. 
So you, you get you gotta be you gotta be careful. You got you gotta be careful. And Settle didn't get his degree. History says red shirt sophomore defensive tackles. They're not gonna be picked very high. I mean, since 2012, there's been two of them. Yeah. And only one of them got picked in the first three rounds. A six-round pick, you're not guaranteed to make a roster spot. Defensive line is such a is such a developmental position like offensive line. I really feel like you need to be mature before you're ready needed, to be impactful. I think he needed more development. Yeah. You know? and, and I can't speak to the, to the mental side of Tim Settle and, and the emotional side or whatever, but just looking at him physically, he, he had come a long way. And I think, and you've heard me say this before and write this before, he needed longer to go, I think. And that's really what it comes down to for me. And, you know, you watch the national championship game and you see that number 94 for Alabama. What's that guy's name? Uh, Deron Payne. I know his yeah. last name is Payne, but, man, that guy's a stud. You see a guy like Payne, uh, a little bit going a little bit further back in Dominican Sue, and you see how those guys Just are Just look built. at Clemson's defensive tackles. Yeah, you know, they're backup Dexter defensive Dexter Lawrence, tackle. Christian Wilkins, those guys are I, I, absolute monsters. And, and you know, the, the – it, it, those I don't know if all those guys are going in the draft now or whatever, but those are the kind of guys that Tim's going to be compared to. And he's not there yet. He, I, he moves well. Yes, he's athletic yeah. and all that, but he hasn't reached his full potential physically. I don't. I don't think, think he's reached his full potential from a strength standpoint. Yet. Right. I mean, yeah. he's a big, strong guy. But as you know, as you get older, you get stronger uh, to a certain extent. Then it starts going down, going yeah. in the other direction, right? But he's still at the point where he can still get stronger, and so that makes him projectable. But at the same time, you don't want to waste a high pick on, on somebody that young and who may or may not develop. Well, I would like to see a little more finished product. I think Settle has the talent to be a first or second round pick. I think he's looking at a fourth or fifth round selection, in my opinion, in which case he's going to cost himself millions of dollars. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the- all because I just I think it's all because he just doesn't like school. And yeah. it's what it seems like to me. I mean, you're talking you're looking at a guy who, you know, he did, he struggled to qualify. Out of high, high school, school, and his first chance to leave school, he's gone. And what pretty much everybody says is a bad decision. Uh, so I, I just think he's making a hasty decision. And I know these guys, you know, that they don't think about things that, in the perspective that we do. But but I, I think he I think he hurt himself. And I, I felt- I'd, I'd be a little bit more precise. I would say he probably likes school because we all like school. But I don't think any of no, us like going to class. No, well, okay. <laughs> we liked college. We didn't like the school yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that, right. that, that's what I mean. Yeah. That seems fair. <laughs> For me, the, I know the NFL guys love projections, and they love being able to th- and look at a guy and see, what is he going to be in three years? Or what is he going to be in four years? But they also yeah. like to see production. That's right. And, and Tim Settle has one year of starting production that he can show guys. He has one year of tape that he can really show because his retro freshman tape he was playing very sparingly behind Woody Barron, Nigel Williams, and Ricky Walker. Yeah, um, and, and and he wasn't even the best defensive tackle on this team. Arguably, he was not. Uh, you're absolutely right. He wasn't the most consistent. I mean, it, I if say. you look at strictly the numbers, mm-hmm. he, I think he was probably the most productive in terms of numbers. Yeah. But if you ask the coaches, if you ask people that actually watch Virginia Tech football. I think most of them are going to tell you that Ricky Walker's a little better. They call Ricky Walker the bell cow over there. Yeah, it's a reason. There's yeah, a right. reason they call yeah, him that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just you, when you sign your rookie contract, it's a four-year deal, and look how many injuries there but are. But only if it's a first-round pick. If you're a, a fourth, fifth-round pick, like it might three. be like a two-year deal. Uh, I think it. I think you're D- guaranteed depending on how late year. you yeah. go in the draft. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's. I think they're four-year deals no matter what. 
Or maybe it's three. I, I, I'm pretty sure I looked, that... I looked at Isaiah Ford's contract, and it was a four-year deal. Was it? Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I've always been in the understanding that the first couple rounds are four-year deals, and then right. they start to move into three-year okay, deals. Okay, maybe it was a three-year yeah. deal. I don't think it's anything less than a three-year deal. But but anyway, uh, I just there's so many injuries in the NFL that you've got to make sure your backups can play. Every roster spot's got to be ready to play. Yeah. And There's only 53 of them, and you can only have 46 guys active on I, game day. Right, exactly. And so, and I understand that, that Tim Settle has a bright future and can be a very good player. I need him to be a very good player right now. Yeah. I, I'm not wasting a roster spot on a fourth string. That was one of the issues with Bucky. On a number four deep. Right, sure. And and I just think uh, you, you got to be more ready these days because there are so many injuries. Uh and you're only going to get so much better playing on a practice squad because uh, NFL doesn't hit in practice anymore. Yeah. You know, because there's so many injuries. So you got to be more ready in the NFL. If you're not ready immediately in the NFL, they're not going to take time to develop you because they, you, they, they can't afford to. There's so many injuries these days. they got to have guys they can plug in and play right away. It's kind of like when you have, like, rec ball, like rec baseball or rec football. You know, everybody's playing, and, you know, they'll take the time to develop. But when you get into, like, competitive high school football right. or AAU baseball or something yeah. along those lines, they need you to be able to play. I, right. I, I, I do think uh, I, I'd i be looking to change some things if I was the NFL. Uh, I'm a Packers fan, and the Packers had a lot of injuries this year. I think they have – So did my Redskins. Right. I th- they were higher than the norm, but there, there were weeks this year where I literally did not think we had enough players at a particular position to even play the game. There were several yeah. times where we and had, like, six healthy same, offensive right, linemen. Yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so it's just like, what if you lose two guys? Who's gonna, are you going to move a uh, tight end to offensive tackle? Vernon or something? Davis playing number, left right, tackle. Right, right exactly, <laughs> something like that. And so there's no – there's just not uh, – so you're playing backups, and there's just not as much quality a- anymore when when there's so many injuries. Uh I, I would be in favor of expanding rosters yeah. into the NFL, uh, giving the coaching staff an opportunity to, to, to develop more players. Yeah, and that I way, a guy like Tim Settle could be, uh, he you know he could take four years to develop, and you're comfortable keeping him on the roster, knowing that in three years he could be a very. They good They should player. probably expand the rosters to somewhere like sixty, and then yeah, instead yeah. of having only forty six active players on game you know, day, fifty five, make it fifty three, yeah, yeah, which sure. is what the what the roster limit is. Yeah, now. I, I think that I think something like that makes a lot more sense for the NFL. You can develop some more guys, give yourself more depth, and, and create a more quality product, in my opinion. So to go back in the discussion a little bit, here are the numbers for Ricky Walker and Tim Settle. Walker had 41 tackles. Settle had 36. They both had 12.5 tackles for loss. Walker had 4.5 sacks, and Settle had 4. Okay, so Walker actually basically had him beat in production too just, just a Slightly. little just a little yeah. bit yeah um so but now what happens next year when you got ricky walker inside and you don't have tim settle next to yeah, him is true. he as productive yeah you know? for so, sure yeah because that's something we'll find out and, and that's something i want to get to next is that tech's got to replace a ton of holes on defense yeah these three guys left some some big holes but then you have the seniors leaving as well yeah. let's talk specifically about the free safety position first with terrell Evans leaving I know that, Chris, you hit on Divine Diablo, and you think that he was actually Tech's best free safety this year. In the first month of the season, yeah. he was healthy. I thought he was. Is he, is he a long-term option there? Yeah, I think he is. For sure I think he is. I, I liked his range. He flashed the ability to tackle in the open field. Uh, you know, you'd like to see him in coverage a little bit more to, to, to get it up to – 
get a better overall feeling. Interceptions. Uh, yeah, you know, actually, <laughs> actually catch the ball. He shows the reasons why they moved him from wide receiver. Yes, we'll put it definitely. that way. But uh, yeah, I think he could be a good player there. And I, and Cleo Ladler played well there at the end of the season. Mook Reynolds is obviously capable of playing there. So I think Tech has plenty of options at free safety. I think they're going to be just fine. Now safety. Backer is a little less set. I know that, and th- people think Dylan Rivers is probably the heir apparent there, and I, I would agree with that. Yeah. But as we've talked about a little bit in the office this week, and we've talked about on the message boards, it's, on, it's PSL, on the message boards today. Um, Dylan Rivers not having a lot of game experience is really going to put him back a little he, bit in his development. He played defense one game this year against Man. North Carolina, and then and he was on the kickoff team. He was only covering ten percent of the kicks. Yeah, because they were yeah Sly right was right. Booting him into so the, it into the basically stands. reminded me of Carson Leiden a few years ago when they pulled his red shirt after the first couple of seat, a couple of games and. He got in the game defensively against East Carolina uh, because he had to because Matua Palaka was hurt and Hills Camp got knocked out of the game for targeting. But they wouldn't have played him on defense all year if it hadn't been been for that. And they pulled his red shirt. And I, I think Tech blew out enough teams this year. I mean, they brought him in against North Carolina. What was the score of that game? Fifty nine to seven. Final score, yeah. Like that, yeah, yeah. yeah. They brought him in for the last drive of the game. He could have played the whole fourth quarter. Did he? Oh, play, hell, he could have played the whole second half. Did he play at all versus East Carolina? I feel like he did play versus ECU at least a, for a drive or two. I don't think he did because they they had Jack Click back there playing as well and quarterback. They had Coleman Fox in the game. I mean, they had. I'd have to go they back and, the bench. I, I have to go back and watch the tape. But the only uh, I I don't remember because remember Anthony Chicago was also a backer. That's true. I, I think they brought in Chicago against, uh, against East Carolina. Right. I think the only time he played defense was against UNC, and he could have honestly it was thirty eight nothing at halftime. He could have played the whole second <laughs> half. You know Tremaine Edmonds is going. This, a staff member told me last summer when we we're out there at a recruiting camp. I said, "Man, settle." Look, or excuse me. I said, "Man, Tremaine Edmonds looks good," and he, and he goes. Yeah, too bad we're only going to have him for another year. <laughs> They've known this was coming yeah, for a man. long time. Yeah. All right, you could play Dylan Rivers that entire second half against North Carolina. You can play him a lot against Old Dominion, thirty-eight nothing game. You can play him a lot against East Carolina, another blowout. They chose not to do that. And, and as we keep saying repeatedly, it's it's different than it was fifteen or twenty years ago when guys used to get a lot of work in practice. There was a lot of scrimmaging going on. A lot of tackling to the ground. Nobody could kick it through the end zone on kickoffs. These are things that used to happen 10, 15, 20 years ago that aren't happening anymore. So the best uh, developer of your your skills and your experience is actually playing in games. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that with some guys. We've talked about this before. I thought Houshin Gaines, the the games we saw at the beginning of the year, the one at the end was much better. um, Yeah. Because he got to play a lot. You know, and, and that's what we're looking at here. The discussion on the message board about uh, Rivers and really any backup linebackers is tech fans love Bud Foster, but the one thing <laughs> I don't like about Bud is he doesn't play his backup. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually okay with, with not rotating linebackers when the game is close. Like, I don't want well, Dylan well, Rivers you, in there against Oklahoma State. You, you don't when want to ro- rotate them like defensive linemen. Right, but you're telling me you can't get Dylan Rivers or Rayshard Ashby on the field for well, seven to ten plays? Especially, uh, see, especially I, well, if it's a game that's 70, 80 snaps. Uh, well, we didn't have any of those this year. There, there was a couple. <laughs> no, there <laughs> wasn't. There was literally one. West Virginia. Well, all right, well, there you go. So yeah. be the, but but there, that was their first game. They're not going to put a true freshman on the field their first game. But, but but if you have a game that's 60 plays. Well, 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 well that's the thing, though, man. Your your defense is playing so well, do you, do you really, and your offense, you have no room for mistake. You have no room for error. Do you, do you want to give up a long touchdown because Dylan Rivers missed a gap? 
against well, Georgia think, Tech. Well, think about it this way. Somebody made a really good point on the message boards. They said the Mike linebackers like the quarterback of the defense. Right. Coaches get criticized, rightly so, for just pulling quarterbacks and putting in the backups. Right. So think of it that way. Right. If you're playing your backup quarterback, he can make a critical mistake. If you're playing your backup Mike, he could make a critical I, mistake. And I remember Bud rotating Brian Welch and Jay Kalsright, but they were both the same. They were both veteran players. They were both very good. And I and think Welch probably got to play because Housewright would would get hurt. He would get hurt, you know, and so. you know, and they were both seniors at the same time. They right. knew the defense, everything like that. Uh, so, they didn't, but other than that, they just haven't rotated linebackers very much at all through the years. But they blew enough teams out this year in the first half of the season that they could have got Dylan Rivers. Like I said, he could have played the whole second half against UNC. Yeah. He could have right. played 30 snaps anyway. I think we've worn that I point out. <laughs> this is true. All right. uh, the last position, obviously, is defensive tackle, and I think this is the yeah. one that most fans worry about. I think this is the one that most media people think is going to be the biggest problem for this defense heading into next year. Besides Ricky Walker, who's going to who's going to start there? Who's going to be able to be in the two deep at that position? First thing I do is move Vinny Mahota inside. And, and here's the thing with Vinny. He tore his ACL a couple... He, he like, did tear his ACL. What, about a month ago? Yeah, against Pitt. Or a month and a half ago? Yeah. So Almost two is months. He gonna be, he's 16th. not going to be ready for spring. Is no. he going to be ready by week one versus Florida State? I think so. Um... I think he'll be ready by, uh, by week one, um, and I think he's a veteran player. He's played inside some and in, before, um, and I know he does. He'd rather be at defensive end, but sorry, Vinny, <laughs> we need you a defensive tackle. Uh, Vinny's probably not an NFL player either way. We need him at, to start at defensive tackle. I thought Halshin Gaines, the way he came on at defensive end at the end of the season, he looked I, better I, than Vinny's well, looked all year. Well, you know, I, I can't speak to a, to a play-by-play consistency standpoint, but he was. Uh, he had more big Explosion. plays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Tech likes their defensive end depth. Emmanuel Belmar got some experience this year. They they're high on what Taiwan Garbett did this year uh, while redshirting and Zion DeBose. Uh, so I think, but at the same time, defensive tackle depth. You know, I thought uh, Jared Hewitt was competent as a backup, uh, but I don't think he should be starting at this point. And behind him, Xavier Burke converted tight end. Uh, Darius, Darius Fullwood, who I, I don't think is a – I don't I wouldn't even classify him as a tweener. I just don't think he's a ACC-level talent. Jimmy Taylor is definitely a tweener. Yes, Jimmy Taylor is definitely a tweener. Uh, you know, and you got, I got a couple of guys that you're redshirting. Glaze, who I, I don't think had a, as good a redshirt year as the defensive ends had. And you got Porsche, who's actually a defensive end. Everybody projects him to move inside. But what we're hearing is he's not too keen to move to defensive tackle. Uh so I don't know if that move's going to happen. So I don't think you have any choice but to but to move Mahota inside. And this will be the second year in a row where Virginia Tech's defensive tackle depth is really questionable. And they got away with it this year because, except for the West Virginia game, all of their games were under 70 plays. Settling and Walker and, and stayed, they, they healthy, stayed healthy. And, yeah, they, well, did, they didn't play a lot of long And games. if you're going to have Mahota in the starting lineup at defensive tackle, you have to assume he's going to get hurt next year. Uh, Just yeah, looking the, at his injury history, he's sure. had shoulder issues. He's shoulders, had the knee yeah. inj- knee injury this year. You know, I've, Vinny's a great guy, and I, and I like Vinny, but you, it's you, he's not exactly a reliable guy for 12, 15 games in a season. That's absolutely correct. Um, so, but what are you going to do at this point? Yeah, <laughs> start recruiting more not, defensive. Not only tackles. do you have, not only do you have to replace six starters on the whole defense, but that defensive yeah. tackle position that's, is going to be that's what be an I'm issue. Man, Cam, Cam Good, Joe Kane. They got, show they got up a chance. Play, man. Yeah, show up. You got an opportunity. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on from Virginia Tech football. I want to talk about the Virginia Tech men's basketball team. Obviously, they beat Wake Forest last night. 
8375 uh, looked like the tech was maybe trying to lose that game a bit there at the end but they were able to get it done j rob scored what was it will 11 points 11 in, points in the last, the last one, two 154 yeah. Ahmed hill puts up 21 um just really quickly how big was that win just because you, you they really haven't looked all that great in acc play well it's it's a road win and in the R, for rpi purposes every road win counts as 1.4 wins uh, you know, they lost a road game to Virginia, and now they've, or excuse me, they lost a home game to Virginia, and now they've won a road game, so they, they cancel each other out. So Virginia Tech is dead even as far as road wins, home wins, yeah. losses, all, all that stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, it keeps their keeps their head above water to a certain extent because they got a tough stretch coming up. And every, all 18 games in the ACC are tough, but every team has that one little stretch within the stretch yeah. and, and, and that is tougher, and that's Virginia Tech's upcoming slate is, at Louisville, home against Florida State, home, home against, against North UNC. Carolina, at Notre Dame. And then at BC. And then at BC, who's obviously game. a much improved team this year. Definitely. So. And a place that Tech doesn't play well. Right, exactly. exactly. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was important to get that win from that standpoint because you, you're going to have to uh, – you're going to absorb a couple losses uh, here here in the next couple of weeks. And For so sure. you got to win as many. That's why the Syracuse loss was so disappointing because I thought Virginia Tech had a good chance to win the game and steal a road and win. Syracuse but but just they didn't play well that good night. this year. Yeah, I, I they're think okay. They, I think they're better than well, they were last year. But yeah. well, they're one and three. In they're the not ACC. special. And I'll, and I'll say this: I know Virginia Tech fans say, "Oh, it's Wake Forest," but do you know that was Wake's biggest loss in the ACC play this year? Last night, they lost They've by they, they lost by four points in the Dean Dome. They beat Syracuse at home, and then they lost at Boston College by six. To me, to me, it's really simple. We've seen Tech do this enough times that I recognize Wake Forest doing it last night. They started out what three of sixteen? Yeah. Dug themselves too big of a hole and yeah, could never come back. That's right. You know, and didn't th- play a look of defense in the process. <laughs> yeah, well, as usual that, that, under Danny Manning. And that, and that's the big difference between facing Syracuse and Virginia and then facing Pitt and Wake. You know, Virginia Tech really struggled against Syracuse and Virginia offensively, mm-hmm. and those are two suffocating defensive teams. Yeah. You know, and, and then you get a you get something a little easier between Pitt and uh, and Wake. If they just made their shots against Pitt, they would have destroyed. Crushed them. them. They would have won the game by twenty five or thirty points, and they, they won it by fourteen and scored eighty one points despite only shooting four of twenty three from three point range. <laughs> uh, yeah, which and you saw what happened to Pitt last night when they lost by thirty to Duke when a team makes their shots and. Virginia Tech could have won by the same margin that the yeah, Duke did. Yeah. Uh, it's just it was there that they just didn't make their shots. And I, you know, you knew Virginia Tech was in a slump shooting going back to the second half yeah, of the Kentucky they were. game. I think they were something like twenty-eight of one hundred and twelve from three-point range, which is which is twenty-five percent. Twenty-five percent. Not good. <laughs> and we know this team's a much better shooting team than twenty-five percent. And, and Syracuse and Virginia, a lot of that, most of that was their defense. And you know, and it wasn't necessarily that Tech had bad shooting nights. It's they didn't have good shots in those games. Yeah. Um, so you, and you're not going to shoot well if you don't have good shots. Uh, Tech had good shots against Pitt, and they missed. They had good shots against Presbyterian and North Carolina A and T, and they missed. But you knew that was going to change at some point. It started to change last night. I think uh, I was glad to see something. And I said this after the after the UVA game. I said I'll be glad to see something besides that two three matchup zone. And the, and pack, the pack line, line defense. Give me a normal defense to play against. And, you know, fortunately, Virginia Tech only has to face Virginia one more time this year, and they don't have to play Syracuse again, although I kind of wish they could get Syracuse at home because I think yeah, they're, they're, they're well at home. They, they've, always played, they've always played Syracuse tough, even, even on the road. They just didn't this year for, for whatever reason. I think they played a bad game. The main thing I want to hit on when we talk about Virginia Tech basketball because we haven't t- talked a ton about this team on the podcast 
is really just the state of the season so far. They're 13-4, and 2-2 two and two in the ACC. Um, Will, what are some of your general thoughts on this team and things that you've noticed in the first uh, 17 games at this point? Well, uh, and I actually wrote about this on the message board yesterday. Um, you know, they, they – the, the, the whole Kerry Blackshear situation, they're, they're not playing P.J. Horn in ACC play. Yeah. So Blackshear is their, their five. And when he leaves the game, they bring in you Chris, know, Clark. Chris Clark. He's is in playing there. five, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's going to be an ongoing issue. If, if you saw any of Pitt versus Duke or if you've seen Duke this year, Bagley and Carter are just oh, – yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. man, they're, they're, they're going to be trouble. Go ahead and write that one off. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, so – um, that's the obvious one. That's the thing that everybody goes to. But the other thing I said in, in the post is um, uh, I've, I've started to think lately that Chris Clark is not being aggressive enough in the half-court offense, that he needs to – he's deferring to other players. He's not shooting enough. And I ran the numbers, and he was shooting 5.4 shots a game in ACC play. And I wrote, he needs to start taking 10 shots a game. And what did he do versus well, Wade? Last night he took 10, ten shots. Yeah. And he, he was 5 of 10. He took their big guys to the basket. You know, he was he was aggressive, and it made a difference. You know, they didn't win the game because of Chris Clark, but he was part of the overall effort. You know, yeah. he's he's a he's a very good rebounder. He's great in the open court, great passer. These are all things that we know. The thing that he that he needs to that I think he needs to focus on to make the team better is to be more aggressive, particularly in the half court. And then the other thing, you know, the other piece of genius is just make your shots. <laughs> I, I, I had this written down as I really think that this team has to shoot at least above average to win games. Sure. If they, 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 they're they did not last gonna, night. Yeah, they're not going to yeah. win consistently if they shoot 40% from the field. Unless you're a great defensive team, which they Exactly. Right. And, and they're right. not a great rebounding team right. either. So the, the, to me, this offense really has to be churning if they're gonna if they're going to go on a – any kind of extended winning streak. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you can run your offense effectively and still not make shots. Like, I thought Tech ran their offense very effectively against Pitt. They just didn't make their outside shots. They made their two-point shots. They made 75% of their two-point shots, but they didn't make their, <laughs> Man, that's make their three points. And even yeah. last night, there were a lot of open threes in rhythm that got yeah, missed. They, right. Yeah, I mean, they were so wide open so many times against Wake that, you know, you're like, my goodness, they – could have scored 100 points in that game. Nah. And, you know, Wake Forest, man, under Danny Manning, they finished 212th or worse in defensive efficiency every year. And as they get into the meat of their ACC schedule, it's looking like another another bad defensive year. It's not going to get any better. For me, going back to your point, uh, Will, on Chris Clark, I think he needs to play more. I know that the injury issue was you know, kind of holding him back in the early portion of the season, and you and I actually talked about this briefly before we went on air here on the podcast, but he's only averaging a little over 24 minutes a night, which is fifth on this team. And in ACC play, it's up a little bit. It's about 27 minutes But a to me, I feel like he needs to, A, be starting, and B, I feel like you need him to play at least 30 minutes a night because of his versatility on both the defensive end, his ability to pass and, and initiate offense, and also his ability to get to the rim when he is aggressive. Yeah, and so Buzz is doing with him what he did with uh, Lede Seth and Lede, Alan Lath- yeah. uh, Seth, Seth Allen and Zach Lede. Zach Lede. Um, he's not starting him. He's playing every game. I, I think I looked, and I think Clark has played in all 17 games yeah, and he hasn't started, started a single one, one right. of them. Um, he's down to wearing a sleeve on that on that knee, so I, I would say that's not an issue anymore. Um, 
So, you know, buzz is buzz. So you can ask him about it when when you get a chance, you know, in the postgame or something like that. I think his answer will probably be the same that, well, you know, when he did it with Lede and Allen, he, he, he felt like they pro, uh, prospered, profited from watching the first few minutes before they came in. Well, that, that and they didn't want, he didn't want uh, Lede to get in foul trouble early. Yes. And yeah. with Chris Clark, it's different. I think it started as a knee issue. You know, I'm not going to start him. I'm going to limit his minutes to 15 or 20 a game. So Which I don't make, I don't know that his answer would be the same with Chris Clark. But you know, you, you all I know I'm I'm never around Chris. All I know about him is that I, his public persona that I see, he seems to be kind of an easygoing guy. He is uh, very awesome. skilled. But yeah. he, but, uh, I know this in the off season, he plays a ton of basketball. I think in he term, works hard in terms of pickup games. Yeah. This guy's playing basketball almost twenty four seven. So I'm not questioning his his talent or his work ethic. They're both there. But if he was a junkyard dog like Zach Laday, how productive would he if be? If he was a little mean. Yeah, yeah, a little bit yeah, mean. Yeah, Somebody yeah. needs to piss off Chris Clark. <laughs> yeah, I said Buzz, Buzz needs to make him mad every day, at least on game day. Yeah, <laughs> do something to make Chris Clark mad uh, because, yeah, he could be a dominant player if, if he got really ticked off, I think. The last thing I really want to hit on with well, with this team, and, and we talked about this before we went on air, is the big question, is this a tournament team? Is this a team that can make the tournament for two consecutive seasons? Is this a team that can really kind of navigate a tough ACC schedule as we've talked about and and it's really one of the toughest schedules left in the country, I believe, right? right? Yeah, it absolutely is, and uh, which which is a good thing because the non-conference schedule was not good enough exactly, to get this yeah. team to the NCAA tournament. So they have to play a good not uh, a good conference schedule and and get some and, top fifty yeah. wins. And goodness knows, there's plenty of opportunities for top <laughs> fifty wins c- coming up in the in the last uh, fourteen games of the season plus the ACC tournament. I think I've said this all. The whole time since before the season, I think the ceiling of this team is higher than last year's. I think there's there's a little bit better depth, although Buzz hasn't chosen to use it the last couple of games for whatever reason. Unfortunately, they haven't and, had the injuries that they dealt with last correct. year. Correct, the, uh, they have eleven guys they can throw out there yeah. instead of really being limited to seven. R- exactly right, and uh, so, so I, I think the ceiling is better. I think they're a better defensive team. You saw it in stretches last night, especially in the first half. Yeah, two it, straight shot clock violations that yeah. forced, and you know the. As, as much as I like Ty Outlaw, he can't play a lick of defense. Uh, Zach Liday was not a good defender. Seth Allen was a very indifferent defender. And not and this team is not a good defensive team, but they've upgraded from being very bad to just to, kind to of average, bad. <laughs> average to slightly below average. So they're a much better defensive team than they than they were a year ago, which make which gives them a higher ceiling. But will they reach that ceiling? I don't know. They'll have to stay healthy. Um, it's it, it's really kind of depressing to me that that Hadim C left and is not eligible to play. Or he is, I, uh, is he is he technically even eligible? I don't. I know. don't. I don't know if he. I know he's sitting not. out the he, year. I, he but... left Virginia Tech, went to Tallahassee Community College, uh, enrolled sometime. Well, did he? Because uh, there was a newspaper article saying that Tech never actually sent his papers, his paperwork down there. So I don't know what happened. At any rate, I hope leaving Virginia Tech for two weeks or a month or whatever it was worth it for him because it's it's kind of hurting such this an team. odd situation it was a, it be, was a it was a very strange situation it, he's back now and I'm yeah. glad he's back um and I think it's it's helpful that for to have that big body to practice against uh, for, for Kerry Blackshear but Blackshear has no room for error hmm. I, somebody told me the other day it's like man I wish Blackshear was a little bit tougher I don't <laughs> he's in foul trouble enough as it is 
you know, I want him. I don't want him to. He, you've seen what happens when he gets in foul trouble, or when he got in foul trouble. He fouled out of the Kentucky game. Virginia Tech lost. He fouled out against Ole Miss, and they took Virginia Tech to overtime, but they had no business taking Tech to overtime. He fouled out against St. Louis, and Tech lost. He got in foul trouble last night. Uh, they didn't lose the game, fortunately. But it looked a little shaky there at the end. Yeah, right, exactly. So every time he gets in foul trouble, Virginia Tech struggles, and because, that's not a coincidence. Because they don't have a five that can come in and defend the rim right. behind him. Yeah. Well, he's not that great of a rim defender either. He's not a he's, but, he's not explosive. Right. But, but at six at six ten, you provide a, a much bigger obstacle to, of defending the rim than you would at, at six. You six, would like court. to have that option for ten or twelve minutes a game. <laughs> yes. Well, he, yeah. one of the things he needs to be very careful about, and this got him last night, was the arm bar. When guys are backing you in, don't put your arm in the middle of their back. <laughs> Uh, there was one foul called on him earlier where I thought, what is that? And right. I rebound on DVR, and you saw that forearm come yeah, up, yeah, whistle yeah. got blown. Yeah. And there's something, I'm, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm not a guy who likes to talk about the refs or criticize the refs or whatever, but some of the stuff that's called on Blackshears, just come on. That, that one that Devin Wilson had to come over and say, I'm the one that fouled him. Go look at the and replay. And is Kerry Blackshear allowed <laughs> to go for a loose ball? Apparently not. Every yeah, time right. he does, they yeah. call a foul. Yeah. You know, so he gets this look on his face like, what? What? And that's yeah. not his personality. He's legitimately going, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, so. and that's what I say. I don't want him to be more aggressive. If I mean, can you imagine like not having him for even more games? Uh, yeah. I mean, because Tech has struggled enough in the games he has gotten in foul trouble. I want Hadim C back next year. More post depth, and then Kerry Blackshear can, can get more aggressive. So you want you want KJ to wait a little bit till he gets that junkyard dog, but Will, you want Chris Clark to get that junkyard dog right now. Well, Chris, what? yeah, Chris Clark's. I think that's uh, accurate. A, yeah, I mean, you can replace Chris Clark if he gets a little in foul bit, trouble. Yeah. If he gets in foul trouble, can't do it with KJ. Yeah, you got other guys on the team who are six five and six six. You got a ton of guys on the team who are yeah, six yeah. five and six six. Yeah, exactly. So, but you know, so Chris Clark can get in foul trouble. Uh, that's fine. Kerry Blackshear can't get in foul trouble. Really quick before we wrap up Tech basketball, uh, they have Louisville coming up Saturday, January thirteenth at four p.m. at Louisville. Tech's chances of winning that game decent, I think. Decent. Um, you know, I didn't. I haven't really seen Louisville. Louisville, so I think two I and two a, in the ACC. I watched. Now. A, I watched a little bit of their game, or I watched the beginning of their game against Florida State last night. And I think Florida State got up nine nothing. Louisville had to call a quick timeout. Florida State's won twenty eight straight home games. You kind of know where that game's going, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. Louisville came back and won. Yeah, uh, uh, so. I watched the end of that game. I tuned in with about two and a half minutes left to go, and they were they were apparently they had a net problem, so they're putting a, a net back on the rim. And the last two and a half minutes were played at a high level. Yeah. And Louisville's got a guy inside. I don't know his name. I think it starts with an A. Um, skinny, uh, kind of Middle Eastern-looking mm-hmm. dude. And, man, he's a defender. He really defends the rim. Good shot blocker. And I just I, – I don't like the matchup. You look last year when Tech went into Louisville and just lit them up from outside. And still lost. And still lost. Yeah. You know, uh, that was a school record. I think it was 17 to 26 from three-point range. Yep. Uh, I, I just and it's a road game and I just I just don't feel good about it. Yeah, I mean I don't feel great about it, but Louisville's been inconsistent this year. I mean, I think, had a lot I, of I think stuff Kentucky off the court just, to deal with. just crushed them, right? Uh, yeah, am, am I wrong yeah, about I'm, that? I think I read a little bit yeah, yeah. about that. Uh, they've been fairly inconsistent. You don't know about their coaching situation. Uh, yeah, I don't even know how many coaches they have on their staff right now. To be <laughs> honest with you, um, 
So they're they're capable of going on the road and, and beating Florida State. I also know that they're capable of losing at home to Virginia Tech. When you have a volatile situation so, like the one they've had, you just don't know what you're going to get over the course of 18 So games. last year, you know, when, when Tech went into Louisville, I thought, man, you know, I this, not, this is going to be a loss. And Louisville then they go was racing the top five at the time, weren't they? they? Something, something like that. So Tech fourth. starts lighting it up from three, and this happens to me a lot. I'm, I'm watching a game where I think, ah, Tech's going to lose. We're this not going to win. And then, you know, sure enough, a few minutes in it, they, they get me emotionally invested in it, you know. And, and last night's game was that way. Tech started out so strong. And then um, at one point when uh, Wake Forest closed the gap to about six points in the second half, uh, I just thought to myself, I really don't want to lose this game. They Tech has <laughs> led the whole game. You know, just Literally, it. Wake Forest did not lead the whole game. Yeah, they, the only zero. time it was tied was when it was zero to zero. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, well, actually it was tied first – Mm-hmm. Uh, look at the box score. Yeah, yeah, I think Tech led for 38 minutes and something, so I guess Tech, nobody, nobody scored for the first For the first two. 134. Right, the okay. Yeah. That's what it was. Now that we're, we're done with the Virginia Tech basketball, really quick before we end this podcast, we have to hit on one thing that we haven't hit on yet, and I'm kind of surprised we missed it. Frank Beer was inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame. I thought it was very interesting that he was a first ballot inductee. And Why some, is that? Just, I, I think... You know, we're probably too close to it. Uh, we know he did a great job building the program out of nothing. Um, he played for a national champ. He coached for a national championship. And then you see the years that followed where he got close and he, he could never quite get over the hump again. And you start to tally up the losses. Boise State in 2010 and Kansas in 2007. And, and you know, you can list a bunch of other things. He won a bunch of conference championships. So I, I think if you're too close to it and you see all the Frank's strengths and all of his flaws – you think to yourself that the committee is going to look at him the same way. But no, man, he came across and bam, they rubber stamped him, he's in. Yeah. And for me, that puts it in – that really puts it in perspective. It, it takes away some of the detail and makes me realize that's how the rest of the college football world views him. Yeah. And I saw him going in with a, a, a lot of other guys who had been out of college football for a while. I mean, Paul Palmer got inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. He played in the late 80s. And frankly, I was surprised he got in because he he was ineligible one year that he played. I don't even know who he is. He was a running back for Temple when Bruce Arians was coaching Temple. Oh, that's Uh, Virginia Tech lost to Temple in 1986. Yes, that's what it was. And And so it was that that win got forfeited. Yes, so Tech was nine two and one that year, but in the books it's ten one and one because of this Temple game. And Arians proved he could coach. Yeah. He, he had Temple pretty good at that point in time. And Paul Palmer was part of it. And Palmer finished second in the Heisman voting, which I didn't know. Wow. Uh, but I, anyway, I saw Frank going in with guys that had been out of football for a while. Who, Mac Brown, he's uh, been out for a few years now. Um, so I, I was looking at those other guys thinking a lot of these guys are not first ballot inductees. And Frank was. So that's, yeah. that puts it in perspective for me. You know, when you look around the country, I know Virginia Tech fans have a different perception of Virginia Tech than outsiders do. For, for a lot of Virginia Tech fans, it's, oh, we made a national championship game. There's no reason we can't do that again. You know, and then that's the, you see that talk on the message boards. When, when can we get to the point where we're in the playoffs, get back to being in the top five, top ten every year, blah, blah, blah. And I think people around the country have the opposite view. I, I think they look and say, wow. Frank Beamer must be an awesome coach because he had that's never going to happen Tech again. In the top 10 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that's the outside perception of, of Beamer. 
And I think it's it's kind of a different perception than a lot of Tech fans have. I, it's I think like it's like if a coach put NC State in the national championship game. All of a sudden, NC State fans would be thinking, "This is where we should have been all along." Fi- finally, we got but, the right coach. It, all those other coaches were, we had were just really bad. <laughs> Whereas I'd look at it and say, "Man, that, man, that guy coach. got NC State in the national title game. That guy's awesome." <laughs> All right, that's all the time we have for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with another episode of the TSL Podcast. We'll take a a longer look at Virginia Tech men's basketball. If there's any more NFL decisions that we need to look at, we'll hit on those. There's still Adonis Alexander. I know we're still waiting on uh, Ricky Walker's announced he's already coming back, so we don't have to worry about that one. But we will have a full episode next week of the TSL Podcast. But until then, I'm Ricky the Blue. For Will Stewart and Chris Coleman, thanks for listening.